the touch of your lips, dear, but much more for the touch of your whips, dear. You can raise welts like nobody else as we dance to the masochism tango. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Hourgasm podcast, a podcast about decolonizing sexuality. I'm Lindsay G. And I am Lenny Peppers. Why don't we talk a little bit about the show and tell everyone what this new thing we're doing is. Basically, we're here to decolonize sex. And before we figure out how to do that, we kind of have to figure out what that means. So I think this podcast is going to be an opportunity for us to talk about sexuality more generally around the world and more specifically in individual people's lives and the ways that sexuality can look extremely different from what most of us have been raised to believe. Totally. Does that sound right? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's exactly what I imagine for the show as well. So let's tell them about ourselves and what brought us here because I don't want to like just jump in and and let them know like uh, where I'm coming from for this podcast without yeah. knowing like a little bit of my background first. Yeah, I mean, we are just two random people, but we are two random people that actually kind of know what we're talking about a little bit here, I swear. Yeah, so you start. Okay, well, uh, as I said, I'm Lindsay G. Um, I am primarily a writer. I am also an editor. I'm also a publisher. Um, and I have focused mainly in my writing across multiple genres and different modes of writing on sort of the congruent corners of sexuality, feminism, and pornography for, God, I don't know, somewhere around the last 15 years. <laughs> I think I started this in like maybe 2007. So it's 2020 now. So about 13 years I've been doing this. Um, I started out as a porno DVD reviewer for Dirty Magazines back in 2007 in New York, um, for which I was reviewing porno DVDs, which sounds way cooler than it actually was, it turns out. But the money was okay. And I decided that I needed to stick with it. Um, and I basically like went down the rabbit hole of finding out more about pornography, about the people who make it, um, both in front of and behind the camera, how the industry works. And I found it to be incredibly fascinating. And through sort of investigating pornography, I have become sort of an all-around sexuality geek, really. <laughs> I have written some books. Uh, I wrote a memoir about my experiences as a journalist in and around the porn industry. And I've also written a sex-positive graphic novel um, about a character named Tracy Queen, who sort of finds herself through sexuality and sex work. Um, so I'm very interested in the ways that sexuality functions in society more generally, and I'm very, very interested in finding out how we culturally can kind of unfuck ourselves from an imperial colonial mindset. So that's me. Yeah, I think um, Sexual Geek sounds like a Prince song. I like mm, Yeah. <laughs> Freaky, geeky, kind of works, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Sexual Geeking. I wonder if Prince was a sex geek. Maybe. Maybe. I bet he knew a lot of weird stuff. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 
a little bit about me. My name is Lenny Peppers. I am Northern Cheyenne and Crow from Eastern Montana. And I am a comedian and comic book writer. I actually write all kinds of stuff. Let's just call me a, like a digital storyteller. Mm, I like that. Yeah. Uh, I have a comic book called Quantum about a queer Northern Cheyenne superhero whose sister has gone missing. And we touch on all different kinds of topics, including like her identity as um, a native, but also her identity sexually. We talk about murdered and missing indigenous women, and we talk about um, like health and all kinds of other cool things in there. And even though I'm not necessarily an expert on this specific topic, I am a huge history geek. Uh, so I have read um, all kinds of stories, uh, oral traditional stories, and um, also like historical documents about um, sex and sexuality. And so I'm really excited to bring that into the conversation. Yeah, I'm really excited to get into historical stuff too, and I'm, I'm glad that you are. Um, I was just on Twitter the other day and saw this entire thread about depictions of ass eating in medieval European like illuminated manuscripts and I was like yes I need to know all about this <laughs> yes uh I think I need to know all about that too <laughs> yeah I uh I could I don't remember enough of it to go into it in detail but basically the idea was that like demons and such and sinners generally are often depicted as having butts where their heads should be because it's an inversion of the natural order and therefore, you know, clearly in league with the devil. Um, and it's, the idea was that it seems that basically butts are funny. So therefore, if you show like a devil or a demon or an animal or another person like licking a butt, it's funny, ha ha. And so there's like tons of depictions apparently throughout medieval European texts of like ass eating. And I feel like there's probably a little more to it than butts are funny, ha ha, but it's a very interesting note that I don't think I would have ever found if it weren't for Twitter. Yeah, I find some really weird stuff too. I am like totally into like sex Twitter and sex TikTok and sex Instagram. Like there are some really cool people doing really cool things out there in terms of like art and funny stuff. I don't know. I'm We're going to talk to all of them. Yay. Yes. <laughs> and see, we're already, like, only one episode in, and we're already learning, like, really cool things. Yeah. And I'm, I am so excited to learn more, because it's the kind of thing that um, I'm super interested in all of this, but I don't always set aside time and space to do more learning. Like, I tend to just fall back on the things that I already know, some of which is, like, hopelessly out of date at this point. You know, particularly if you're talking about sexuality, um, identity, and especially pornography, those things all move so fast these days that, you know, yeah. I'm, kind, I'm kind of an old, I'm in my late 30s. Well, I'd say like late mid 30s at this point, <laughs> um, which is different from late 30s slightly. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I don't know what the hell is going on. Um, oh, but I thought we should probably also quickly touch on uh, pronouns and identities for ourselves. Um, oh, yeah. 
My pronouns are she, her, or they, them. Um, I'm pretty comfortable with either. Um, and I actually think that my technical sexual orientation is pansexual. I just did a whole deep dive on this recently, trying to figure out if I'm bisexual or pansexual or if they're actually the same thing or not really. I think I'm pansexual, but that makes me feel like an old person trying to use a young person's term. So I'm not really sure how comfortable I am with it, but that's where I'm at right now. I am in the same place and <laughs> recently, which is really funny. Uh, maybe we should tell them a little bit about us. Uh, the fact that we didn't know that about each other. <laughs> And we've been dating for like a year and a half now. Yeah. I mean, you know, dating with like quotation marks around it because it's COVID. And yeah. so we see each other like extremely rarely. So now we're doing a podcast. So we have something to do together. Oh, I know. <laughs> uh, and, and it does. It stinks. But um, stinks. But the podcast will be our love child. Yes. Okay. So this podcast is the love child of Lindsay and I. So yes. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, for most of the time that we've been dating and for a long time before that, I just identified myself as queer generally. Cause I, I don't know. I'm a like, let's shy away from labels type anyway. And yeah. I just felt that queer left it nice and open. Um, and I didn't have to like pigeonhole myself, but then I also kind of realized like, actually having a name for your specific identity is kind of helpful, not just to me, but to other people around me who are trying to figure me out. So I'll start using the term pansexual, I think. Uh, so I go by she, her, hers, and I am polyamorous. Uh, and I, I say queer, but I think I'm with you on the pansexual thing. <laughs> We're both like, are we allowed to use that word? Like, oh, I feel so old. Like most I know. of the time, I have like adult children who like roll their eyes at me still about half the stuff I say. So, <laughs> right? They're like, I'm pansexual, and I'm going to eat this something. Like, I just feel like <laughs> such a fraud. Like everybody knows I'm faking it. I don't know what know. I'm doing. Oh, <laughs> I'm respecting the drip today. <laughs> This podcast is going to be all about respecting the drip. Yes, it will. <laughs> uh, the thing about, like, indigenous people is that, um, like, the stuff is out there to, like, you know, kind of start reclaiming um, sexuality and what it means to uh, different tribal peoples around the world. But a lot of it has been like erased over the years and rewritten from the dominant perspective. And so like my whole goal for this entire thing is to kind of take a deep dive and find more stuff about, um, like most of the stuff I found is like about uh, indigenous people in Australia, indigenous people in New Zealand, uh, and even South American indigenous people have you know, been able to hold on to a lot of their stuff, but I feel like uh, worldwide it's a, it's an issue, and mm -hmm. I know it's definitely an issue with my tribe, um, where I still hear uh, people to this day, like, um, saying different, repeating different sex information that I've read 
that's contrary to what I've read in like oral traditional stories and stuff. So I think it's important to really start uh, reclaiming it and just owning it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think I, well, I have a lot of questions, like historical questions that I probably should talk to some sort of expert or read some more about before I go spouting them off here where people can hear me. Um, but <laughs> I do, I think that there's a huge value in learning, learning about other cultures and just ways of thinking about sexuality than sort of the dominant narrative that we get in the West. Um, for literally everyone. And this is something I've been thinking about a lot lately. I was trying to write some blog posts about this and just like got overwhelmed with how much I wanted to say. So I haven't. So I'm going to try to say it here succinctly. <laughs> yeah. um, so I, I feel very strongly that sex positivity is super important to the world. And I feel like the term sex positive got really popular around like 2012 or 2013, somewhere around there, right around the same time that everybody in the world got really excited suddenly about feminist pornography and they were throwing around, you know, feminist porn, sex positive all over the place. And then it kind of fell by the wayside. Um, it's not as hip anymore. Um, but I was looking on the internet about uh, a few weeks ago about what sex positive means. And most of what I found was information that felt really superficial to me. Um, it felt like everyone was talking about, you know, not being ashamed of your sexuality, um, being able to talk openly about sex. And these are very important points um, and not judging other people for their sexual you know, practices, preferences, orientations. And I agree that that's all a big part of it, but I think that there's a lot more to it. And I think that the more that I see in sex positivity is that sexuality has been used as a tool of control by the powers that be in Western civilization for hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands of years. And I think that the more, the more we, the people, oh God, that sounds so American. That's not what I meant, but <laughs> that we as people um, can learn to kind of get over all the shame and all the conditioning, conditioning that we have gone through, you know, since we were tiny children, um, the more we'll be able to see each other as actual human beings and treat each other better and, you know, not be so controllable. And I think that a lot of that unlearning and relearning should come from indigenous people um, because we need a lot of wisdom and clearly the, from where I'm sitting anyway, clearly the things that we have been taught from the Western patriarchal mindset are not helping us very much. We're not in great shape right now. So we need to look anywhere else. And that is my treatise and thesis and dissertation on why we need sex positivity in the world. That is extremely well said. I will not be as concise when I speak. So I also have a podcast called The Novel Savage where I actually read romance novels and I talked about them in um, like historical context and also um, make predictions about what happened to the people after the novel ended and stuff like uh, some of these are ridiculous in one of them the guy the native 
character would go into the bathroom and pluck his hairs out of his chest. Like he just spent <laughs> a huge amount of time like plucking hairs out of his chest. <laughs> that sounds so painful. <laughs> Why would they? Well, I mean, this guy was like, he was whipped and he was like, I mean, he was like, he had some bad things happen to him throughout this entire thing. Like he was, this chick had this dude tortured. Uh, she, the person who wrote this book, she wrote in so many torture scenes that I was like, this poor guy, <laughs> not only is being tortured, he's standing in like bathrooms, plucking his hairs out, you know, wow. I probably didn't feel like anything. <laughs> That's awful. I know. But, but so tell us about the, the novel Savage. Oh, okay. Uh, that was it. That's all I have to say. Uh, <laughs> I read romance novels and I talk about them. Uh, but okay. romance novels specifically centered around Native American characters and Native American storylines. So, and there's some really great romance novel covers out there. That's what got <laughs> me interested in this to begin with is that uh, I started like, I was in a thrift store and I was just going through some books and I realized that they had like a whole section on Native American romance novels. Whoa. Romance novels with Native Americans in them. And so I bought the whole section. The books were like 10 cents a piece. And then for like a whole year, every single thrift store I went to, I dug around in the romance section. And I came up with this really cool idea to do um, artwork where uh, for my comedy where I'm holding the microphone in like the dominant position of like a romance novel book usually it's the male <laughs> with the woman kneeling at his feet you right, know yeah. typical romance novel cover but um, in this case it's my my husband James is kneeling at my feet and he's tied up <laughs> with my microphone cord and yeah <laughs> nice you know I think, well, I don't know which came first, but I know that there was also like a big trend for a while in like bodybuilding magazines mm -hmm. where the covers would look the same. There would be like a big bodybuilder guy standing up and then like an almost naked woman like kneeling in front of him or like at his feet or something. And I wonder how those two things overlapped so much, like how that came about. That's really interesting. Uh James actually subscribes to like Men in Fitness magazine or something, something like mm -hmm. that. And I think I've seen covers like that and it had yeah. never crossed my mind that there's probably a correlation there. I wonder if it's because they often got bodybuilders to pose for the paintings that they did for romance novels. Like, yeah. and they were just like, oh, I know how to pose like this. Here, here. <laughs> take the picture. Yeah. They were already, like, posing like that because that's, like, the way they'd seen themselves pose, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and that also goes into, like, something that we could speculate about, but again, I don't have any expertise here, but, um, you know, about the, the dominant man trope and how important that is to our understanding of, you know, romance and sexuality in our culture. Um, totally. And how, I mean, you... I'm sure you can speak to how romance novels just basically reproduce all of these ideas that we've all been brought up with for so long and, you know, that, put them in different orders. I have this really cool academic journal. I have a ton. I, 
if I use sources, I will totally post them um, <laughs> in the um, on the page that we're going to use for this. So you guys can find any sources that we have there. But I do have an academic journal somewhere around here that I was using for the novel Savage that was um, about how John Wayne produced the toxic masculinity, the um, like stereotypical American toxic masculine male. Hmm, that's interesting. That's really interesting because John Wayne, for all of his fame and success, has never struck me as like in any way appealing whatsoever. Not that I find toxic masculinity appealing necessarily, but as women who were raised in, you know, America in the 80s and 90s, I'm pretty sure that a lot of things that are toxically masculine do come across as attractive to us because we were taught that's what's sexy. Yeah, not just um, now, but we have the Byronian male, uh, Byron, mm -hmm. from, you know. Uh, and the romantic male. Oh, as, as Yeah, but who is always, there is always something, like, terribly wrong with, like, <laughs> this person. Yeah. And yeah, like, they're still sold to us as the one that we're supposed to, like, fall in love with. Right. And I, I feel like, oh god, we could go down a whole rabbit hole about this, but I feel like the, the Byronic hero is the the brooding, somewhat more effeminate, like, long hair poet shirt, you know? Yeah, like, like Angel um, from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yes. Um, or like, like the Beast in Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Um, and then the John Wayne toxic masculinity is much more closed off. Like, whereas the Byronic hero broods over his emotions but isn't fully in touch with them. I feel like the John Wayne archetype has no connection whatsoever with his emotions except for violent anger. Yeah, like Gaston from Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. <laughs> or Spike from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, is this just going to become a Buffy podcast? Because I think I could get into that, actually. <laughs> uh, oh, that makes me think of something else. So, these two male archetypes, right? The one being kind of like an emotionally cut off sadist and the other one being kind of like an emotionally messed up masochist. Um, I feel like they both play into like, you know, we're basically talking about book covers and the way that, you know, men are portrayed as desirable. Yeah. And in, in romance novels, you tend to see more of the Byronic looking hero, you know, like he's clearly troubled and the female character needs to fix him somehow. Yeah. And you can tell, you know, that he has emotions because he's troubled in the first place. But where you see a lot of the John Wayne style archetype is on Western novel covers, where you get the very stoic man who like, you know, gets laid all the time and is very successful and other men like worship him but he's not quite advised or feminized looking. Um, and I have always found that it's really fun to dig through like bins of old Western novels at thrift stores and just like notice how pretty much every single one of them looks like it could. The titles are basically the name of like a gay porno. <laughs> of course, I can't think of any right now, but I know I'm right because I have tested this theory multiple times. Yeah. <laughs> Things like, um, I had never thought of it, 
like ramrod rider or something. Oh yeah, <laughs> I have a ton. I'm gonna run and grab one really quick. Oh boy, I keep talking about this. All right, well, um, I've got to try to figure out how this actually ties into decolonizing sex. Um, but I think that, I mean, the main idea, right, is that we've all grown up with all this media around us and depending on your age um, and you know what you like to read and so on you may or may not be familiar with the tropes that we're talking about um, in exactly the forms that we're talking about them but we've all been raised in a culture that tells us that these are male archetypes that it is that these are the archetypes that are sexy in one way or another and that may or may not be true I don't know if we'll ever be able to know if there's like something deeper than our culture that makes us attracted to, you know, the like shirtless or shirt open to the navel man standing on a hilltop with like a rainbow behind him with long hair flowing in the wind. I don't know if there's actually anything to that beyond what we have been told is sexy, but we sure do find it sexy. Oh my God, Lenny is showing me a book cover. Soon a major motion picture starring Gregory Peck. That's an old one. <laughs> oh yeah. It's called The Walking Moon. The cover features The Stalking Moon, I'm sorry. Ah. Mm. Uh, an Apache man. And he's dragging a woman down the, down the street by her hair. <laughs> wow. It's really going back to the savage trope, huh? Yeah, Sam's wife had been a, an Apache's woman, and now the Apache had come to claim her. Hmm. I would love cultural or historical accuracy of that. <laughs> um, I bet it's not very historically accurate. For Westerns, I find that you can basically write the woman entirely out. Uh, this is my theory. That you can write other women entirely out of a Western and put a dog in its place, or in her place, uh, and um, it would still be the same story. Holy crap. Yeah, in Westerns especially, they're totally just props. Yeah. Oh my god. Yep. Plot points. <laughs> uh, yeah. Hmm. This feels like it should be a YouTube series. Or maybe a TikTok series, just like photoshopping, you know, like a oh. dog's face in on the cover. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I brought this up to um, someone, and they actually pointed out that there's a Keanu Reeves movie that's basically that. <laughs> really? Interesting. Yeah. Do you remember what it's called? No. Huh. I'm going to have to look through his IMDb to figure this out. Yeah. Um, it's a famous one, and I've never seen it, but I'm going to have to now, just to mm -hmm. see if it is what I, if, if I could put a woman in the dog's place in this movie, <laughs> and it still have the same, like, kind of feeling as a regular Western, then, Yeah. Right, yeah, this this quote-unquote character who is basically without agency or motivation could be a dog, <laughs> could yeah. be a woman, as long as you can drag them around by their ponytail or their tail mm -hmm. or their hair. Oh, God. Well, and that, I mean, that totally speaks to, you know, what we've all been brought up 
to believe, which, you know, we may or may not actually believe as adults, but we all watched like the same Disney movies. You know, we saw the same romance novel covers. Probably we've all seen some Western movies, you know, where like female, female characters exist mainly to be claimed by a man. You know, the end of most Disney movies, or at least the ones that I grew up on, is, oh, they're finally together, and now they can live happily ever after. And that's that's the goal for the female characters, to be claimed by the love of her life, and everything, I'm sure, will go fine after that. Um, Except I, maybe the two Disney movies featuring indigenous characters, uh, Lilo and Stitch. Mm, true. And Moana. Right. Uh, of course, there's Pocahontas, but I'm not even going to get into that right now. Well, we could make the argument that Pocahontas is not actually about an indigenous woman. It's about the westernized version of an actual historical individual. So it's really not an indigenous character. Yeah. Uh, and I can tell you the history of Pocahontas and how far that um, perspective of this real life uh, girl that existed. This interpretation of her actually goes back to the 1700s, and so I can tell you all about that in a whole nother episode. Oh, that would be a really interesting conversation. I know a little bit about it, but not, you know, super in detail, and I think it'd be really interesting also to, like, to kind of pick apart the ways that this person's legacy ha has been molded to sort of continue the narrative that white Americans want to believe. Absolutely. I think it will be fun. Uh, what are some other, other topics that you're hoping to cover for episodes? Well, I mean, obviously being, being like the porn person who talks about porn all the time, I would really love to have like a series of episodes where we kind of talk about, you know, depictions of sexuality in pornography um, and what that kind of means to the rest of us. Um, I do think that, you know, porn's effect on culture is like a great topic and it's one that like has changed so much over the past like 15 years because <laughs> porn didn't used to affect nearly as many people as it does now so i think um yeah like a, a whole bunch of episodes on topics around that would be oh yeah great for there's like a millennia of topics there <laughs> right and speaking of millennia, I was also thinking it would be interesting to try to kind of trace the, the patriarchy as it exists and affects sexuality today and, like, see if we can figure out how far back the roots of this particular version of patriarchy go. Because I feel like I can easily get back to Rome and then probably Greece because I know that most of European culture, like, loved, loved Greece and Rome and wanted to, like, model itself after them. Yeah. But before that, where did it come from? Was it, like, Babylon? Was it, like, Sumeria? I don't know. But I feel like the Greeks didn't just invent it, you know? Oh, yeah, <laughs> so, no, totally. They, they stole a little bit of everything. Right. And, yeah. I want to talk about, and I don't even know if there's anything here, but um, sex and the doctrine of discovery. Uh, I have no idea where that's going to go, what's going to happen, but I look forward to doing a deep dive of it and, and, and talking about what I find. 
Um, I, I mentioned uh, when we were coming up with the idea for this podcast that I want to talk about periods. Mm-hmm. Um, I have another comic friend who uh, the only like historical context about periods that she knows is um, like sitting on hay bales. So like, that's, <laughs> that's like the only go-to joke she has for periods is like go sit on a hay bale. But uh, there's some really, really cool stuff um, that I found digging around. Uh, I want to talk about femininity and... You know, that's a really, like, just the the idea of femininity um, is something that would be really cool to get into because I feel like we have such a strong cultural, like, idea of what masculinity is and what it looks like, but the same cannot be said of femininity. Um, And I don't know if that's because I'm like a raging feminist and have been for a long time, so I think too much about it, or if like I'm onto something there, but I feel like when you say femininity, there's not a whole lot, like I don't have a whole lot of ideas about what that means. So it's really interesting to get into that idea. I think it's more... Is it's more fluid than than masculinity because most of the things that like growing up in the nineties, uh, thinking about the movies that I watched in the nineties and what femininity looked like in those films, um, the women were, I mean, most of them had like like girls in them who were like ugly until you took their like glasses off and took their ponytail <laughs> right. off. And then suddenly like, that's what femininity was, you know? And yeah. so I couldn't even like really find a way to like describe it. But like, I look forward to digging more into that and like looking into gender and mm-hmm. indigenous people looking at uh, indigenous manhood and how that was, um, changed with uh, the colonization of the America, looking at two-spirit lore and literature. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about um, queerness in film. I want to have a good friend of, a mutual friend of both of ours on to talk about comic books and queerness. Mm -hmm. I think you know who I'm talking about. I think so. (laughs) Yeah, I just, I want to talk about like the legacies and the identity reclamation and the regeneration yeah. of um who we are and and what we tell our you know our kids our future generations yeah you know actually what would be a really fun thought experiment for this episode would be like a quick imagining of say this podcast gets huge and this topic gets huge and you know we're like the leaders of the world at the end of it what would decolonized sexuality look like like what's the end result of decolonializing the way that we think and behave around sexuality i think ideally that there wouldn't be like a specific like way that we would need to be or way that we would need to act but there would be an open-mindedness for instance for you know those of us who are poly and knowing that families look different and that many people or one people could like 
have a family and some families don't have kids and some families, you know, may only even just be one person. Like asexuality would also be like uh, accepted and respected. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, a very similar, I guess, utopia in my mind. Um, just like a, a place where people's orientations, identities, and preferences and behaviors are accepted as a part of them and aren't grounds for being, you know, cut out of families and society and yeah. aren't grounds for separating people from each other, um, you know, unless they choose to be separated. In my utopia, there are, like, communes of people who, you know, do their own sex thing and they all decided that they wanted to live in that commune because they want to do their sex thing and they want to do it alone. Fine. Cool. I want those people to be able to come back into town to do their shopping and for everyone to be like, Hey, it's great to see you. How are you doing? Instead of like whispering behind their hands about those weirdos that do the sex stuff on the commune outside of town. Yeah, <laughs> That's what absolutely. I, want. <laughs> I, I'm right there with you. Accept it. Like acceptance within society. That's, yeah. that's what it comes down to, and not just for uh, sexuality, but just for being a human. Right, right. And I do feel like sexuality has been so separate from the rest of our lives. And the thing that I have found through talking about sexuality a lot for the past 13 years is that it it doesn't get talked about, not in like a real way, not in a way where people start to work through their trauma or start to yeah. understand, you know, that they have choice in this area of their lives. It's talked about, you know, maybe in therapy, it's talked about in shameful undertones and it's whispered about and it's giggled about, but rarely is the topic of sexuality really dug into in a meaningful way. And because it lives in the shadows it gets real scary. Like the more you refuse to look at it, the scarier it gets and the more and more it wants to come out of its closet and like, you know, fuck with you in the middle of the night. So my goal has always been, let's just talk about it more, just normalize it and let people's trauma come out and let people heal themselves. And if we can do that, then we can move forward. But there's so much shit piled on top of us individually and culturally that we've got to dig through before we can get there. So I want this podcast to be an opportunity to dig through it and talk to each other and lots of other people about how to do the digging. Yes, I think that you said it all. And I think that's a great place to close this episode because, you know, that I think that leaves everybody in a place where they could really start thinking about like what we're going to what we're going to say and what we want to get across and the things that we want to learn while we go. So, yeah. Yeah. And uh, we want to hear what you have to think too, people who are listening. So if you have questions or topics that you think are important, you know, get at us. We will probably have some way to contact us by the time we post this on the internet. We don't really yet, but we will soon. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I am Lenny Peppers. And I am Lindsay G. And, and together, this is Ourgasm. Our, yeah, Ourgasm. <laughs> uh, we didn't think of those yet, but we will. <laughs> I don't Actually, know, I keep cheesing at the end of every... We got the name at the very... <laughs> <laughs> I saw it on your face. <laughs>
What are we called again? What are we doing? Shit. <laughs> Take your cigarette from its holder and burn your initials in my shoulder. Fracture my spine and swear that you're mine as we dance to the massacre. Kiss them tango.